Hello, greetings. This is Isabel Ashley. You may know me as the host of the Baker Radio Show Broadway Bangers. And in my last three podcasts, I've spent time talking about all things musicals, from the history of the American musical to a very prominent American musical in modern day, Hamilton. And my last one was about my top 10 favorite musicals. But this is going to be a little different. And so I decided I would talk about something else that has been a big part of my life and that has um, been a kind of a passion for me as well, um, but in a different way, I guess. And that is summer camp. That's right. This is the memoirs of a summer camp counselor. But before we delve in, first of all, I'm not sure if this is going to compile of episodes or if this is just going to be one one full length just one full encompassing chapter of my experiences as being a camp counselor um because when i think about it so much happened in a day like every single day felt like we had a saying days felt like weeks they were so long but weeks felt like days because they once you finished a week you're like oh my god it's over um so so much feel like it's so hard to explain because when you don't talk to your friends who are not at summer camp you know who aren't counselors because you don't really have contact to your phone and whatnot when you don't talk to them they just get so behind on hearing about what's going on because so much happens in one day that there's no way you could try and explain when someone asks oh so how was your summer what'd you do like there's no way you can try and explain it all So I'll do my best, and I'll try and share some of the most memorable moments of being a camp counselor and my journey this summer. So a little bit of background for those of you who don't know. Um, I have attended the summer camp, Camp Lake Hubert for Girls, in Niswa, Minnesota <laughs> for six years. Yeah, for six years. I started when I was 12. And the way I found out about this camp was that, so my father went to the boys camp because these are very old camps. Um, and he would get a newsletter every month. And I remember finding this newsletter in his passion, the passenger seat of his car. And in the front cover were these two girls covered head to toe in mud. Like, Everything was just covered in brown mud except for their eyes, you know. And I was like, what the heck is this, Dad? And he was like, oh, that's that's this camp that I went to as a kid. Uh, They have a girls' camp, too. And I don't know how, but I just became the most independent 12-year-old in the world. And I just was like, I want to do this. Send me away. And so I went my first year for three weeks to this girls' camp. And... It was amazing, and I loved it. And I went back year after year. Um, I made so many different friends. Uh, for many girls, they had the same click, you know, that they... Not click, because it's not like they... You know, people were from all over the country, all over, all over the world. Like, a lot of counselors are from different parts of the world. Anywho, I would, like, come back, and 
it wasn't until like my fifth year of camp I really started making close friends and my sixth year was probably definitely the best. So then um, after my last year of going to camp, which it was more like a training program, like a counselor and training kind of program, you had to take a year off and then you go back. And so I remember first stepping on camp after being after being a year away and I had gone through my freshman year of college, which is something else I could probably spend a lot of time talking about and may come in a different different podcasts at a different time later but um that year basically was really hard academically emotionally and I really didn't have a lot of time to adjust because I I actually had to move my finals early so that I could go home to bring all my stuff home because I was transferring schools so it's not like I could just leave all my stuff in a school um you know storage space I had to bring it all home and so that was a hassle you know I had to get all these professors to sign all this stuff and then I had to pack everything up and I just had to peace out and and the thing is is that my school that I was transferring from was in Minnesota so I thought that I was going to be able to like have my dad come up and bring some of my stuff home and the rest I would just take with me to camp, but I, there was no way that I was going to bring my whole dorm room to camp with me. Like, that's just ridiculous. And also, um, it's an eight-hour drive from my old school to um, to my house, and the camp is two hours north of my old school, so it would have been like an 11, 10-hour drive for me to get home once it all finished. And I was like, mm, nope, no thanks. I'd rather not do that. I'll take the eight-hour drive. I'll fly up for an hour and I'll fly back home when it's all done. So that's what I did. So I get to camp after being home for literal three days after a really hard semester and finals and everything. And what I describe this feeling is, is how I've, my dad described when he was trying to comfort me about me moving houses when we were, you know, this interesting thing happened to me. I sound like I'm getting on a tangent, but this, this does have to deal with this. Um, my dad, we, we moved houses my freshman year of college. So when I packed up to go to school, I packed up my whole room and I went off to school and they moved all my stuff for me. All of my clothes and belongings were in boxes in my new house. So the first time I come home from school, I'm in this whole new house. And my dad was like, you know, it, you're, it's not a big deal that you're switching houses because your, this house, this old house that you lived in your whole life would feel a whole lot different when you come back. So that's how I think of how this felt, coming back after being away for a long time and then coming home to a place that's, that's home and it feels so familiar, a place that was so familiar and now it just feels different and weird. And that's exactly how I felt coming back to this camp. It felt so bizarre. I was so happy to be there and yet so put off by it that it, I almost started to cry. <laughs> like I, I was actually like emotionally moved. Um, and I instantly started like regretting like, oh my God, this, this was a mistake. I shouldn't be here. What, what was I thinking? Um, and it turns out that I ended up having one of the most memorable, one of the most difficult and um, hard, hardworking summers of my life but it was one of the most memorable and rewarding summers of my life. And I can't explain how thankful I am that I went because it not only changed who I was emotionally 
and I not only found out so much stuff about myself doing this camp, but that I was kind of in a bad place before, and this was kind of like one of my last resorts, and it honestly gave me the confidence, the confidence that I I could do anything, really. If you can, if you can manage 22 11-year-old girls for, for eight weeks, not the same girls, granted, you, but nevertheless, eight weeks of being around kids 24-7. If you can do that and send them home happy with, you know, <laughs> with all their, with most of their um, belongings and um, no, no damages, no physical or emotional damage, I feel like you can do anything. And so that is my takeaway from that whole experience. So, of the eight weeks that I was at camp, it's broken up into two four-week sessions, and you are in a different cabin for the first four weeks with um, staff, and then you switch staff and cabins and start basically anew with this next session. And, (laughs) wait, I was about to say that, um, (laughs) I was about to say that I'm just going to skip my whole first session cabin because most of the memorable things happened in the second cabin that I had but I will mention this one thing so right away I was hit shit hit the fan real quick at this camp um basically so what happened was once I got on camp and you know I like almost cried whatever then we had like I was there for two and a half weeks before the campers even arrived for training. I was trained in high ropes, and then there was all this, you know, homesickness, bullying, how to be a good counselor, like all that, like, um, preparation stuff. And then finally the kids came. And I was placed in a cabin. I said that I wanted to work with little kids. Mistake number one. (laughs) And actually... What I I could have gotten a lot worse. I could have gotten girls like really young girls and had them for four whole weeks. Well, I could have had them for two weeks and then they would have left and gotten more young girls for two weeks. That's how that works. They're little sessions. Sounds a little complicated. Sorry, but what I got was I was put in intro camp, which is like the youngest of the young campers, and they're only here for five days and then they leave and then kids come for three weeks and that's the whole four week session. And so. These, these kids that are here for five days range from the ages of six years old to, I think, like 10 years old. And they're, it's kind of like a way to test out to see if your kid would be successful at, at a two-week camp. Um, and they wouldn't, like, go crazy homesick or they just don't mesh, you know what I mean? And let me tell you, some of these kids really, I don't recommend them coming back. And one of them is Waverly. Oh my goodness. So, all of these kids, honestly, the the least amount of homesick I had to deal with were these kids who stayed for five days. Granted, they were here for five days, so, like, they don't really have an excuse to get homesick because they're here for such a short time, but it's also because these are the most outgoing, 
camp loving children like their parents often a lot of times they came to camp their siblings went to camp and they were just waiting their turn to go to camp and they honestly probably could have started at two weeks but their parents were more like oh no but Susie's only eight years old I can't send her away for two weeks it's more like the parents are more upset than the kids are the kids honestly do well except for Waverly long story short Waverly was a hot mess She's like, I think she was eight, which you would think this is this is something that I learned about camp is how how do I say this? How dependent these children are. You would think that an eight year old would be more self-sufficient than what I was encountering. But that's that's not the case. For example, Waverly was (laughs) This was especially Waverly. Everyone else honestly did pretty okay. But she, on the other hand, um, let me think. She was always the one who was losing things in her bed. So if we were about to go, I don't know, horseback riding or something, and everyone else was ready, she was like, "Uh," and she talked in this voice, I kid you not. Isabel, I can't find my boots. And I'm like, okay, Waverly, um, did you check the cubbies? Yes, but I really need you to come find my boots. Okay, Waverly, um, did you check under your bed? I just really... Okay, Waverly, so I'd go in, and I would look in the places I literally told her to look, and sure enough, under her bed were her cowgirl boots. And I'm like, okay, Waverly, whatever, it's fine. And she, like, was literally like, I can't go to bed without my lovey. Okay, well, pull back the covers. Look what's there. And I remember... I remember on the first night, she, like, didn't eat anything. And we were, like, telling her, Waverly, Waverly, you need to eat something. You're going to be hungry later. And she's like, no, oh, I don't want to. And we're like, okay, Waverly. And then um, later that night, as we went to bed, like, literally as we had tucked them into bed, she was like, I'm so hungry. And, I like, at this camp, there's no way we can just, like, feed this child, like, go out night, go out, go out at night in the wilderness and break into the kitchen and get her a snack. And I felt bad, but I was like, look, Waverly, sweetie, we told you to eat. You're going to have to wait until tomorrow morning. And that was that. Um, honestly, I think nine, 90% of the time she was doing everything that she was doing for attention. And the breaking point, one of the, one of the breaking points for me was this one time when oh, I feel like something... She did something that made me angry the night before. I don't remember. Um, but then I remember laying in my bed. Oh, oh, this is, wait, this is important. This is important backstory to this. So when her mom dropped her off, she told me, Waverly's really embarrassed about her, um, her the fact that she still has to wear pull-ups. Yeah, this is like a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old that still wears pull-ups. And I was like, oh, no, no, big deal. Like, whatever, I'll make sure she's happy and comfortable or whatever. Um... And literally, Waverly forgot to put on her pull-ups one night. And whenever she went to put on her pull-ups, she would, like, close the bathroom curtain and ask me to hold the bathroom curtain even more shut. So that tiny, tiny little crack in between the curtain and the uh, the wall of the stall, she couldn't have that. She couldn't let anyone catch a fleeting glimpse of her putting on pull-ups. So I would hold that for her. Well, sure enough, she forgot to put them on. And so at six in the morning, she taps my shoulder while I'm sleeping. And she goes, and I'm like, what? What did you say, Waverly? And I'm like pulling off my eye mask and I'm like really drowsy. And she's like, I was like, what are you saying? (laughs) 
I didn't actually say it. That's what she sounded like. And she finally was like, I beat my bed. And I was like, oh, my God, Waverly, why? <laughs> so I ripped the sheets off of her bed. I put more sheets on, do laundry. And I, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me, Waverly? I'm pretty sure one time she also tried to dispose of her pull-ups in the outside trash can like the the trash can was full in the bathroom and she couldn't fathom the thought that a camper was gonna go into the bathroom see pull-ups in the trash can because yeah campers totally dig through the trash like what um anyway so she was about to like walk out with her pull-up and put it in the outside trash can. I was like, what are you doing, Waverly? Don't do that. So I, like, she was freaking out, but then I told her to put it in the, um, put it in the bathroom trash can, and then I would immediately empty that bathroom trash can in the outside trash can. And she watched me as I did it. She couldn't, like, she made sure I did it right away. And I just found that so funny. I was like, my goodness. Very insecure child. So you can believe it when I say that I did not recommend for Waverly to come back to camp for two weeks. All right, now we're getting to the good stuff. Um, I feel so upset because I feel like I'm not doing my experience justice because literally so many funny, interesting hap things happened all the time. But I'm just trying to remember the most, you know, this was like several months ago, so I'm trying to remember the most iconic moments of camp. And one of them was the, um, the dreadlock. So there was this camper named Izzy. And just the best way we can put it is that she just wasn't good at life. She was the girl who never put on sunscreen and she got burnt head to toe. She wouldn't put on bug spray, be covered in bug bites. And again, this girl is like 12 years old. You think she would be self-sufficient. Turns out, apparently not. Especially when it came to personal hygiene. So, none of us thought it was a big deal when one day we noticed that Izzy had a bit of a tangle in her hair. Um, and we watched her try to brush over it, you know. But the thing is, is that her hairbrush is like some weird, wiry kind of brush that doesn't actually comb through your hair, but kind of teases it on top, <laughs> I guess. Like if you're not really trying to stroke it through your hair hard. And so basically, we, she just did that. And she turned this little tangle in her hair into a pretty decent sized knot. But it wasn't out of control yet. And so we told Izzy, okay, Izzy, um, why don't we, why, why don't you go in the shower and spend a lot of time putting cream, you know, conditioner in it and just really brushing that thing out, you know, because, you know, um, I think it was getting close to the end of camp and we couldn't send this child home with this knot in her hair. Like, it was really obvious. And some of the campers were starting to, like, point at it and be like, oh, my God, look at, you know, and I felt bad. It was kind of sad. And so, sadly, that didn't work. And it eventually came to the point where it was a full-on dreadlock. Like, it was hard. Like, you know those those little, uh, oh, what are they called? Like, the, the rabbit foot that you, the lucky rabbit foot that you hang maybe on, like, your... Um, rear view mirror it was about the size of that and the thickness like if you squeeze one of those things you know it's hard it's dense 
it was literally like she had a rabbit's foot, but it was her hair. And I was just like, you know what, guys, I feel like we're gonna have to cut this thing. Like it's, it's too, it's too hard because let me tell you, we tried to go at it. Me and two other counselors tried. I had a pick brush, like a pick comb, because I used to have bangs and I had to, I had to have a pick comb for that. We used that to try and like stab at it, like, like needle our way through it. We used also, like we couldn't use her hairbrush because obviously it proved to be sucky. So we used my hairbrush that I had had for a while. Also, can we talk about that? My hairbrush? Like, that thing was mine. I was sacrificing it for this girl who obviously didn't have very good personal hygiene. So what happened in the end was probably for the best because I shouldn't be using that hairbrush ever again anyway. But, so we were we were washing her, like using the sink, um, we were in the bathroom, we were washing her hair, we were putting a whole bunch of cream rinse in her hair, we were brushing it out, stabbing it with the pit comb, and then at one point, um, I'm the, I was the one who was adding the conditioner, and Abby, another counselor in my cabin, was the one that was just going hard at her, um, at her knot, and we really weren't making that much progress, and at one point, she brushes so hard that she literally breaks my hairbrush, and not just like, not just like a little chip or anything, like she snaps the handle off, and we just kind of go, oh shit. This is the hairbrush that I was going to use for the rest of camp. I still had three and a half weeks left or whatever. Maybe it was more like two and a half weeks. And I was like, okay, well, that's awesome. Looks like I'm going to be using a pick comb for the rest of camp. Because they were also out of them at the camp store. But we literally broke a hairbrush trying to get this rat's nest out of this child's hair. That's, that is the point we got to. Believe it or not, this story does have a happy ending. We did not have to cut... Um, the knot out of her hair because apparently I don't know how she did it and I wish I could have I wish I could have witnessed this but the barn manager this tall kind of muscular chunky New Zealand woman who was like in the navy (laughs) who also was really fond of horses she was like you know she has a little knot and the horses sometimes get knots in their hair do you want me to try and I was like, yes, please, anything. Like, we'll, we'll, we'd love to because I don't really feel like calling her mom home, being like, look, your daughter's going to be coming home with a fraction less of her hair. And so I remember, like, coming, but going to dinner that night and seeing Izzy and her hair was braided into two perfect blonde French braids. No, no hint of damage or knots in sight. And I was like, Oh my God, how, how, how did this happen? It was crazy. Like, it actually blew me away. And we were like, okay, Izzy, look, you are going to keep these braids in for the rest of camp. You are not going to take them out because we don't trust you with a hairbrush. Sorry. So it looks like I'm kind of running out of time here. And that's a shame because I didn't even get to Madeline, um, who was just the... Oh, God. I can't even explain this child. (laughs) Madeline. Ah! 
Well, that's a whole other saga, though. I could go on about her. Sorry that this kind of turned into, like, me ranting about children. Honestly, I had some great moments with these kids. I met some children who were amazing, super cool, funny, cute. But you always remember the bad stuff, <laughs> you know? Remember the things that just kind of scar you in the end. But it was it was something else. So I'll probably talk about Madeline another time. But that was, you know, part of my camp experience. And oof. Oofta. <laughs> you know, they're asking me to come back. And I'm, I'm trying to study abroad this summer. But even if that... <laughs> I told them, oh, yeah, if I don't have any other plans, I'll definitely come back to work. But honestly, I don't know. Because it's just... <laughs> It's so draining. Honestly, I blame, I kind of blame my sophomore slump on them because I went from having a super hard um, second semester of college with like burning myself out for finals and then going and doing this exhausting, taxing, demanding job and then coming home and having one week before starting, um, before moving into my um, dorm at Baker and starting recruitment, and starting classes. I had one week to vegetate. That was not enough to make up for the past six months that had happened to me. So the fact that I watch copious amounts of TV and kind of laze around and not work on my homework as much as I should, I'm blaming it partly on this camp. (laughs) But I love it, though. CLH forever. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed my first edition of Memoirs of a Camp Counselor because... There's probably more to come. But yeah. And um, on a side note, if you like Broadway show tunes, then tune into Broadway Bangers with Isabel Ashley. Thursdays, 8, 10 on BakerRadio.org. Thanks, guys. Love you.